Welcome to season two of Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. I'm Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be speaking to a range of guests to help guide you through different research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. In this episode, I interview Dr. Kat Duffy, lecturer in marketing at the Adam Smith Business School at the University of Glasgow. Cat researches consumer culture with a particular interest in the digitalisation of consumption. Her work is published in international journals including Consumption, Markets and Culture, the Journal of Marketing Management and Gender Work and Organisation among others. She is an interpretivist researcher whose approach is broadly ethnographic, using methods such as semi-structured interviews, wardrobe audits, videography and netnography. Kat, thank you very much for joining me on the Do Better Research podcast. It's fantastic to have you here. I wonder if you would just say a little bit about who you are and what your research background is for our listeners. Sure. So thank you so much for having me and for the very warm welcome. Um, I am a consumer culture researcher and I'm currently based at the University of Glasgow. In terms of methodology, I'm very much interpretivist, ethnographic in how I approach all of my research. And my research interests at the moment focus on consumer behaviour, digitalisation, and specifically looking at sustainability and issues around sustainability and clothing practices from a consumer perspective. Which is something that I know I've already said and, and we've had a quick discussion about that I'm, I'm personally really interested in. Um, it's not something I research, but it's something that I kind of, I've been personally interested for a few years. I um, have quite a minimalist wardrobe. I've, I've done Project 333. The idea that, I mean, consumer behaviour research can be very, it, it, you know, it's very much focused around sustainability at the moment. It's, it's quite a big thing in in the industry but also in the research isn't it? Yeah I mean I think it's hugely topical which makes it from a research perspective so interesting especially being ethnographic the getting to interview people and hear about people's experiences like yourself that you've already engaged in kind of trial different behaviours and I think that it's fascinating and it also which I think is, is so important for research that it has real world impact it's not research that I hope is going to just stay in a paper it actually transcends and will have practice policy and practice implications which is what I hope for my research. You sent a report through which I thought was and I will definitely link it in the show notes because it's a really interesting report and it's clearly like academic research but it's presented in such an accessible way it's not a sort of a dry academic paper it really makes the research relevant to all consumers rather than just the consumers of academic research. Thank you I mean I think our job as researchers as academics is is multifaceted anyway but I think a, a big part of that and something I'm really happy to see is more of an emphasis on focus on widening participation and who gets to access research and that that shouldn't be something that's privileged or just kept to the academic community that we want people to engage with our research and to talk to us about our findings and be able to understand it in a way that isn't off-putting to people and that's something that I strive really hard to do in the reports that we've published we want them to be 
accessible to people and then also to get feedback from people because especially with our clothing research it's something that's so personal to everybody about we all wear clothes we get up and put them on in the morning at the moment that might just be changing from pajamas into different loungewear but (laughs) it's something we all engage in and we all have a perspective on and for me that's it's something that transcend some of the boundaries that I think some research can fall down on in that it is something that is important to people that they've perhaps thought about and even if it's not necessarily important it's something that they engage with on a daily basis. Absolutely I ask certain questions of all of my guests and I think it's really interesting for listeners to hear some of the answers. So one of the things um, I always ask is what is it about doing research that you enjoy? And I know you've already sort of touched on some of these things, but if you could kind of continue to elaborate, that'd be fantastic. Sure. Um, I think I'm curious by nature and I think that's something that I so enjoy about research is that I get to explore phenomena in consumer culture that I'm interested in or intrigued by. And from my perspective, that's a huge privilege to get to gain understanding into people's lives and explore it further as my job. And I think without in-depth qualitative research into consumer habits, routines and practices, we wouldn't actually understand what people do beyond what they say they do. And I think it also has Uh, impact in terms of industry policy and practice so that we can find new ways of doing things when perhaps the old ways don't work and I think that's especially relevant in the work that I'm doing at the moment that I mentioned around sustainability and consumer behavior because from those insights we can think about how to message consumers how to understand behavior change how to think about solutions Um, people are currently time poor they're often overburdened with responsibilities and from in-depth based research we can start to understand how to cut through the clutter and the noise and to reach consumers more meaningfully Um, although I'm always cautious about when it comes to sustainability issues of kind of over responsibilizing consumers so Mm. for me it does go back to that curiosity that I have and that's what I enjoy so much about what I do. That's great. And it's, it's a really common theme amongst researchers that we're both really cur- curious and mostly just nosy. <laughs> See, curious is just an academic way of saying nosy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I, I really like what you said about, you, you know, you feel that you're in a privileged position to be able to do this kind of research and to be able to kind of create this kind of knowledge in the position that you are in and the job that you do, because that's a really important point, is it? That our role as researchers gives us a lot of privilege. Very much so. And I think that it feeds into every aspect of what we do with research-led teaching and really embedding these ideas in every aspect of what we do as academics. And I think remembering that privilege is important, especially methodologically, that people give up their time, they invite you into their lives, and you have to be really careful and cautious around that and how you approach that privilege um so it's something I always remind myself of that I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do but also you have to acknowledge that with your participants that the research wouldn't exist without their time energy and effort that they give absolutely so thinking about 
your favourite research project? Do you have a particular favourite and, and why might that be? So I might take some liberties here and highlight a couple if that's okay, because there, there are some synergies across them all. So my love of research really started more than a decade ago now with my PhD, um, in which I explored vintage consumption. I was really interested in people that it seemed like there was a trend in the growth of people wanting to consume vintage clothing. And I was interested in how people framed value within vintage. So how did something become vintage rather than trash? Um, and from this, I really loved the ethnographic opportunity that I had of immersing myself in the vintage community from attending markets, hanging out in vintage shops, exploring uh, online communities and being able to interview gatekeepers within that. So it really started my love of in-depth consumer research. From this, my favourite current research builds on these initial experiences and explores consumer clothing behaviours and how people strive to be more mindful, more sustainable with their clothing consumption, their care and disposal. And from this, a project that I've been working on with my colleague, Professor Deirdre Shaw, has been looking at a group of consumers who were interested in changing their clothing behaviours. And they indulged us by engaging in a behaviour change intervention in which they agreed to take on one of five challenges which we had set. So to not buy anything at all, to have a digital detox, to declutter down to a capsule wardrobe, to only buy ethically or to avoid animal impacted products. And we followed them for a three month period initially as they started off on their challenge. Then we also followed up across the year to see how their behaviours had been impacted. Related to that, um, as part of my clothing research is the project that you mentioned earlier, Suzanne, with startup company Save Your Wardrobe, who have an app that launched last spring in March, um, whereby the app is designed to provide consumers with understanding and support their clothing and wardrobe practices. And it takes that kind of intervention idea that we had in the previous study through to a digital intervention with the hope that if you can understand what you own and what you do with it, you might think more mindfully about how you use that item, how you repair it, how you care for it, uh, how you get rid of it through donation or disposal. And it's been a really great opportunity to work in something in real time, but also to work with a company from pre-launch through to launch where our research is feeding back into the strategy of the company, the prioritization of services and impacting on how they see their consumer base. So there's little strands that run through each of those where there's synergies, um, but at the heart of them is understanding clothing practices. There's definitely a theme there, isn't there? And something that you mentioned at the start of that discussion about your favourite uh, project was one of the things that you did was work with consumers about offering them a chance to engage in one of five challenges. And I just wonder if you could elaborate on how you decided on which challenges to ask participants to engage with. Sure. So it's a really good question. It was quite an iterative process, which 
aligns with the kind of paradigm that I work in of being an interpreter. So we carried out initial interviews with a group of 32 participants about what they currently did with their shopping habits and were they open to potentially changing something within that. So from those initial interviews, we then had a second phase where some people came back and said, yes, this is an area that I would want to probe further and I'm up for doing something in this area. Um, And we ended up with 19 participants that were willing to indulge us. So from that, we grouped people together where there was similarities and that's where the challenges came from. So they were co-created in that respect that we almost hooked into what people had initially said they were open to trialing and then started to frame the challenges. And we had toolkits that went alongside that to support them. Um, And what we actually did was a dissemination event where we had a mindfulness practitioner come along because one of the elements we were interested in was whether mindfulness would help people in terms of these interventions. So they presented different mindfulness tools that people could try. And then we presented the challenges and actually got the participants together to work through the toolkits and to think about how they were interpreting the challenges. So they say it is something that was it was quite open to how people f- could make sense of it in line with their own behaviours and what was going to be meaningful for them to engage in over that initial three-month period. Sounds like a really holistic approach to doing doing the research, but also to the way that participants engaged with the research and also engaged with their own practice. Very much so. And I think ethnography, from my perspective, is very much about that holistic contextualisation and understanding people in context. And in in light of this project, that was very much around letting people sense make as to how this was going to be relevant for them, their aspirations, but also what was achievable within their own context. And we did have people that migrated between the challenges and then kind of reinterpreted for for themselves. Um, And for us as researchers, that's all hugely valuable because people don't necessarily want to feel boxed in they want to be able to interpret things into the kind of opportunities and challenges that they have in their life and make sense of it I mean that's really interesting and it leads us on to my kind of next question which is a more general question um, for particularly uh, listeners and kind of student researchers which is what is ethnography um, and how do you go about doing ethnography? I think it's a great question. I think it's it's something I see a lot with dissertation students and especially with uh, more junior researchers coming to these areas for the first time. From my perspective, ethnography is all about studying people. As you mentioned, it's all about that holistic approach. And I think It's about observing people in their own environment to understand their experiences, perspectives and everyday practices. And it allows us to get that in-depth insight into a particular context, group or culture where we can look at people in their entirety of people's lives. So thinking about their work, their family relations, their habits, their religion and I think my approach is very much holistic and it explores how people actually live, going beyond, as I said, what they say they do. In terms of 
what it involves. I think it's very much a research method that's focused on social relations and it is about that hands-on, on-the-scene learning and it's relevant where people are relevant. I think we've seen ethnography continue to develop so from its kind of anthropological, social and cultural anthropology beginnings um, it is really integral in the social sciences and it's something I teach in business and management. I'm really excited to see the continued growth of ethnography, especially in areas such as technology. So in user centred design and using ethnography to understand problems and user experiences. And I think it has great traction in that space. So I think for me, it's great to see that it's a skill set that's really desired in lots of growth areas at the moment. In terms of methods, my research normally relies on a bit of a toolkit in terms of being interview based, but also not being reliant just on what people say. That I think one of the great joys of ethnography is spending time with participants and in my research, that's often through the use of diaries or observation. Videography is something that I've used. Wardrobe audits is something that I've used. All focused on immersion within people's lives. I very much, to kind of borrow from Denzin and Lincoln, the great qualitative researchers, see my role as a bricoler, where you're aiming to piece together different representations, different strands of data to gain understanding into behaviours to make sense of patterns and to try and really flesh out what is quite complex in terms of people's lives, people's experiences. So I think it, it's great in that it's not necessarily mono methods. It lends itself to lots of different touch points to really enrich that data set. I love what you said there about having a toolkit, um, almost like you sort of you approach everything with a kind of a list of things and a list of specific methods that you can use and you figure out what's going to work best in the context. So what's going to work best to answer the question and for the participants that you've got that fits in with how they're able to participate in a piece of research? Very much so. And I think it's it's that openness. So, for example, with our initial research into people's clothing practices, we carried out wardrobe audits using videography where I interviewed people in front of their wardrobes and they showed me different items. They took me on tours of their houses to where they stored different pieces of clothing and explained where clothing was and why it was there. And I think methods like that are really useful because people are in situ they're more likely to tell stories about their items um but also from a research perspective it is such a to go back to the idea of being hugely privileged that you're invited into people's personal spaces especially when it comes to clothing that that's frequently in people's bedrooms and I was really surprised that people were quite open to us coming in with a camera and talking to them so I think, as you say, it's it's that toolkit around what's appropriate for the research project and to help address the research objectives that you have. That's really, I, I mean, I really like that. And it's actually completely off topic, but it's been reading a book called Mundane Methods. And they talk in that about it being a really personal experience about you're going into people's homes and 
particularly around wardrobe audits you're in their bedrooms and it's quite an intimate experience very much so and I uh, my inspiration was people like Sophie Woodward and Daniel Miller who from an anthropology sense have done a lot of work in people's houses and I think I was very surprised with clothing it's it's so personal and it's it's quite visceral for people that they were very open to it and it it was funny to see people some people in our participant group that actually approached it and their behaviors almost exhibited as if they were acting as an influencer and standing really proudly in front of their wardrobe and the kind of body language that they exhibited was very much replicated from the YouTube and Instagrammers that we see Um, and we wouldn't have got any of that if it had just been an interview over a cup of coffee but people actually talking to us and us being able to visually gain an understanding into how they were talking about their clothing and how their clothing was making them feel really enriched the insights that we were able to explore. I really love that and I love the idea that people are kind of they can be really proud of the the wardrobe that they've created and that their the, the sense what they wear and how they've curated their clothing um, gives them a way of expressing themselves in a really really different way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why clothing is so fascinating that it's it's really culturally embedded, but it it is about people's identity and who they want to be that day. Um, and then teasing out the experiences and the capitals and everything that's gone into the construction of that but also all of the practices that are taken for granted and one of the things with that research was the wardrobes that people were happy to show us but also the spaces around the house that people maybe were less open and willing to talk about so the under the stairs where there's lots of shoes or the pile that sits in the corner that's well I don't really know what to do with that I might give it to charity or I might sell it I've not decided and all of these interim spaces around the home where clothes were going on different journeys either into the house or outside the house um, such as the pile that sat beside the front door of items that had been ordered online but had to go back um, so I think just being able to use that kind of ethnographic toolkit allowed us to tease out and develop understandings of all of these spaces, not just the curated wardrobe, which people were really happy to show us. That's fascinating. And it just it resonates with so much of the work that I'm interested in around particularly identity and clothing and how we use clothing to curate an identity, as you say, on that day or in that particular situation. So one of the other questions I sent you, and I'm I'm interested in finding out about how you started your work and um, researching with the Save Your Wardrobe app, and and actually who are are Save Your Wardrobe? So it started uh, just over three years ago, I believe. And it was the way that a lot of research happens. It was serendipity. Um, My co-author on the project, Deirdre, met the founders at Copenhagen Fashion Summit and discussed our work that we'd been doing around clothing mindfulness. And we kept the conversation going and we were able to get some funding to start to initially explore the market readiness of the app for consumers. So 
Save Your Wardrobe is, as I mentioned, a mobile application that aims to provide a complete view of someone's wardrobe. So the items that you own, the sizes, the brands, the clothing value, the behaviours and the lifestyles, all um, in your kind of smartphone. So really readily accessible to you. It also has a service ecosystem that supports it, whereby you are able to look to see where you can get items repaired locally, where you can donate them, uh, how much an item is selling for secondhand, so whether you want to do that. So it really aims to digitalize your wardrobe and also help you to make sense and make use of, I think it's 80% of the clothes in our wardrobe are currently framed as being left as unworn. So that if we can understand and care for our clothing in a different way, if we can start to frame it in a different way, then perhaps we can make more uh, sustainable, more mindful, more conscious choices around how we actually use those items. And that's we've published two reports from the work that we've done so far. And the first, as I mentioned, was very much focused on market readiness. So looking through interviews and wardrobe audits to look at what are some of the challenges, barriers, opportunities that consumers had in terms of moving towards more sustainable clothing practices and therefore how the app could perhaps help them to support and overcome some of those barriers. We found something that really struck me was a couple of areas. One, that people were already engaging in different micro practices of resistance is how we framed it, where they were already starting to only buy secondhand or really did focus on repair, care, mending as something that was important to them. But something that came through really strongly was an idea that wardrobes and clothing is something we don't actually understand that much about that if you do want to make more engaged more meaningful choices the onus is on you to try and understand your behaviors and then also to try and understand what brands and what industry you're doing and if there's an infrastructure there to help you support so our participants spoke about that if they could, through the app, start to quantify and attribute data to some of their clothing behaviours, then they could start to make more informed choices. So they related it to a Fitbit, that if they could understand, okay, I own X amount of items, but I've only worn 12% of them, and that's led to a cost of X amount or cost per wear X amount, then they could make more structured choices because it felt like a bit of a black box that they couldn't necessarily understand what was going on. Therefore, they couldn't make what they framed as good choices. So from our perspective, that was really interesting to be able to feed that back into the app. And for Save Your Wardrobe, they found the research really important in being able to evidence that there was a market for their app and also that that helped to de-risk investment for them as they went through different uh, investment rounds and also different incubators as a startup. So from my perspective, it was so great to actually be able to feed into something that's happening in real time and also to see how those consumer insights then start to shape strategy moving forward. 
I just think it's really, really interesting that your participants were looking, understood that there might be a problem, but didn't really know what the problem was and wanted something to help quantify that problem so that they could see it more clearly, they could understand it in more detail. Very much so. I think a lot of our participants likened, and this is across different uh, strands of the clothing research, likened clothing to food consumption and that if people wanted to make changes in their food consumption, so switching to organic, for example, or considering the food miles attached to their uh, food, they could get the information to help them make those choices. But when it came to clothing, they didn't really know where to trust, but they also didn't understand necessarily a kind of 360 degree view of what they currently owned, what they were using and what they could do differently within that space. So I think it's been a way to empower consumers to have agency, to feel in control of their own wardrobe and therefore hopefully to making more informed choices about what they bring in and what they get rid of, dispose of, and where that goes so that it potentially has as least impact as possible. And that's a really, that's a, that's a good point when you say that consumers don't really know what or where to find information that they can trust. Because, I mean, one of the big issues around sustainability at the moment, um, I know it's becoming coming to the fore, is around greenwashing and companies using what they call greenwashing to say, oh, I'll, I'll clothing for example is sustainable but actually that's not the whole picture I think greenwashing is a really pertinent issue and I think it's something consumers are becoming more cognizant of and in some ways it it disempowers them further because you're then hesitant that the information you have you can actually trust um in our uh, in the challenge-based research, one of the groups that we had were able to make changes up to a certain point, and then they very much experienced paralysis of not knowing what information they could trust and what made sense for their values and how they interpreted sustainability for their family, and that people at some point did need to be able to buy things. Um, and but not then not knowing what was appropriate and what would align with their values that they had and that was something that our participants really struggled with that once they had their awareness peaked how you can actually action that in a way that makes sense when there perhaps isn't an infrastructure within the closing the clothing sphere that helps to support that and that comes back to the the benefits of the app isn't it that you're empowering the consumer to make those choices and to understand their kind of micro area of sustainability. So the sustainability within their home um, and kind of see some of the, the issues around that they might have within their consumption. And I think in that way, sustainability can feel really overwhelming and over consuming for people. But actually when you make sense of what's important to you, and where are the impacts that are important for you to see change within? Being able to access that data about what you currently own, what your usage is, and therefore ways that you can maybe start to make changes that help you achieve your goals and your values, I think is important. I think it's such a complex area for people, and I think that's something that can be 
really off-putting for people is that you can feel well from our participants we had some that started to feel like well I can make this change but it also has an impact here or if I support local does that impact then on other economies that have been set up and really need to be supported Mm. and I think the complexities of it can again lead to that paralysis but from our participants very much making changes and being as informed as possible as to what was important to them and their family and their life world to be able to change I think seemed like as you say these these micro changes that we can make whilst also being very much aware that these are larger issues that we need to think about policy and infrastructure to help support. And bringing it back to the kind of the main discussion I mean that's the whole point of something like an ethnography isn't it to get into the the really deep understanding of a person or pe- group of people's values um, and it's just you wouldn't have been able to get a, as richer understanding using something like quantitative research no and I think quantitative research very much has its 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 place and I think trying to understand things at scale it quantitative work has has great value there from my perspective getting these rich insights into how people live their lives how they make choices especially around huge issues like sustainability that are interpreted differently based on our experiences based on how we live our lives that from that holistic understanding that deep and rich insights we're therefore more able to make recommendations, whether that's to industry or to government around how we can support consumers. Because going back to that really original point that I mentioned way back at the start about the emphasis, especially within issues like sustainability, cannot lie only with consumers and they can't be over-responsibilized. We need to look to policy and practice to see how that they can support consumers within these aims that are of benefit to the entirety of society. But we need these insights from how people live their lives to be able to feed into what potentially is appropriate or what education might be needed and where there's opportunities to really intervene and to do things differently with the hope that it's going to have an impact. Kat, that is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. I feel like I could go on and on. 